On January 6th, this nation was shaken to its core. We have become all too acquainted this year with mob violence and riots in our streets, burning down private property and attacks on American citizens. But to attack the hollowed leadership of this nation, it's gone too far. Rest assured, America, we are taking steps to end this threat today. It is my sincerest pleasure to introduce the Preservation of American Democracy Act. Firstly, this bill will send the NSA into the second stage of its operations, or as we like to call it, active surveillance. Luckily, we've had the foresight to already begin compiling Americans' data for years. The United States of America is a democracy made up of its citizens. Therefore, criticism of America henceforth will be monitored for hate speech against its people. And of course, this bill will make it illegal for more than two red hats to inhabit the same social space at any given time. Your right to freedom of speech freedom of association, and the right to bear arms are respected by your government. But we have seen the dangers of these freedoms, and we simply want to protect you from you and those of you who would seek to abuse these freedoms. Make sure you call up your congressperson and beg them to take away these rights so that you never have to witness this type of disgraceful tragedy ever again. Against the Mob Podcast, guys. Myself, Logan Carpenter, Matthew Billingsley here to join me as well. Uh, we've been toying around with the idea for a while now of when do we start diving into current events? We've done a lot of this ethereal idea of how we should run society, how the state is evil, and how libertarianism is the correct way for us to all organize society, if y'all hadn't caught on to that yet. Uh, but to, today, we uh, felt like our hand was forced a little bit. We had some pretty big events go down in our uh, congressional building uh, over the on January 6th, so... We're going to start off today by going back into a little bit of uh, current events. Yeah, we're going to try our best to weave um, current events in with some uh, libertarian philosophy and principles, right? Kind of keep ourselves consistent because we do believe in consistency. It is important to us. But uh, man, what a what a day. That is going to be something that uh, kids in history are going to study. They're going to look at it and say January 6th. 2021, the day that the Trump insurrection mob tried to overthrow the legally president-elect Joe Biden. And I'm really curious to see the, the narrative that's going to come after that, right? And regardless of however you feel about what happened on the 6th, we can't, um, we can't not give it the full weight that it deserves. I don't think that it's quite a 9-11 or a Pearl Harbor, the way that the media was um, relating it to. I think that's a little bit more hyperbolic than I would like to go. But at the same time, we did witness something pretty monumental. And um, if anything, it's kind of a good reminder of like who we are as Americans. Right. Absolutely. I mean, we've had this uh, and part of that legacy is the peaceful transition of power. Uh, mm -hmm. That's something you hear us talk a lot about. You've learned about that in your textbooks in school and how that's what makes America great is that we can have this election every four years and we can decide to uh, bring in somebody new and, and not uh, murder each other over this whole idea. 
Um, but another big part of our history is the, the flip side of that coin, that we are a land of, of insurrectionists. We're a land of, uh, of usurpers of the British government, of, of uh, rebels and, and uh, free men. So I, I don't think that would be behoove us to overlook the fact that this is uh, baked into American culture for sure. Mm-hmm. And whether or not the reasons are just right, because everyone's going to have to reflect and figure that out for themselves, right? I'm not here to tell you, was it right? Was it wrong? I don't know. I'm still trying to wrestle and um, play with these ideas in my mind and take them to their logical conclusions and put it in a historical framework and really trying to understand. So I'm not here to take one stance or the other. I think that um, regardless of whatever side of the fence you're on, I think it's pretty it's almost comical that americans were shocked it's like i can't believe that we would do this this is not who we are this is who we are like america was founded on insurrection like logan said we overthrew a foreign government that did not align with our interests. i mean at that time it was our government right there's no separation between the british crown and the american colonies at one point in history so it is it is in our dna now whether or not you like that I mean, that's something that you're going to have to come to terms with yourself, right? Those are things that you're going to have to wrestle with because it is in our blood as Americans. Like I said, I'm not here to condone it. I'm not here to condemn it. I'm still really trying to figure out how I feel about the whole thing because witnessing that in real time, I mean, I was watching on Twitter. I was just refreshing it, refreshing, refreshing um, as all of those videos started to appear. And I kind of watched it in real time. It's okay. Like the cops let them in or they break through the barricade depending on which videos you see and it's like okay well now they're at the steps and now oh oh goodness now they're in the building and it's like now they're in the chamber you know and it was it was pretty wild yeah and it's uh i mean this is not like you said it's not to be overlooked this is something that's uh it's a symptom of a much larger problem i think um i think that we need to to recognize why this happened is a big part of what this moment needs to be for us absolutely um and we're gonna to get into that eventually, but I think it's abhorrent the way that it's being handled right now in that it's almost like we want to put all of this on Trump's shoulders. And mm-hmm. I'm not by no means absolving Trump. He certainly didn't do anything to try to disperse this crowd. He gave a, a message kind of after the fact saying, go home, don't be violent. Um, but he gave some message before that. that was, right. He did a good job of frothing the, uh, the temperament before he ever made that statement. Um, but it, it's, you know, these people were here and it's a lot the, an extrapolation of what it was for Trump to get elected in the first place. Mm-hmm. That I don't think anybody really, I mean, there, of course, there's always going to be a certain percentage of people who get fooled, the, the sheep that get their wool pulled over their eyes by the enigmatic leader. And there are those forever Trumpers out there who a lot of them left the Republican Party because they didn't feel like they supported Trump. Mm-hmm. But I still think the vast majority of the voting base for Donald Trump more than anything, was a middle finger to the establishment. It was the only shot at an outsider from this deep state that's been running our lives for so long that so many people feel disenfranchised by that they were willing to vote for the circus clown over Hillary Clinton, who, if you're looking at a resume, had every qualification in the world. She's been in this. She's been on the inside for so long. She was at the right hand of the president. I mean, this is a person who should be able to, if everything was running great, why would any of us have an objection to, to her taking over power? Hmm. And I think in the same way, we're now seeing these politicians who are going, this is a terrible disgrace to the way we do our transition of power. And it's all Trump's fault. And I don't think it is. I think it's the, the fault of our politicians. And I bring this up to several people over the week that 
if it was on the other she was on the other foot if biden was the one who was protesting this and trump was claiming victory if that small margin had gone the other way do we not think people would be out marching who are of the left persuasion the black lives matter and the antifa folks and and uh and it's not all just those people. I mean, in the same way that everybody out there wasn't a proud boy or a, a white supremacist, there were some right. some confused rednecks who placed their their hope and and trust in the wrong leader, probably in my mind. But the fact that we have on both sides, right and left, a large number of our population that is willing to go to the streets and destroy public property and private property and burn down cities and march on the Capitol building is not an indication of how bad of a president Trump is. It's an indication of how bad the system is and how disenfranchised we feel as a people. Absolutely. No, I think you nailed it too. And because what I don't like right now is the demonization of the uh, demonization, sorry, of, of the other side, right? Because it is, it is that us versus them complex that they're cleverly crafting to turn Americans against each other. Because at the end of the day, yeah, you're right. There are some fanatics in that crowd. I'm not going to deny it. There are some people that are that that you cut their skin open and they bleed T R U M P as it comes out, right? Um, <laughs> and those people exist on the left too, right? And so it is. It is not just. A, it's not just a phenomenon of Trumpism. It is just an. It is a. It is the phenomenon of what happens when you when you hoist these politicians to the status of like a demagogue, right? Whether it be on the right or the left, that is, that is the real issue with this because like you were saying, yeah, there's some people in there that are diehard Trumpers, but there's a lot of people out there, a lot of sane individuals who truly felt like the system was not listening to their complaints. Now, whether or not you want, like, however you fall on the whole election fraud thing, there were improprieties, were they enough to overturn an election? Is that evidence widespread fraud? I don't know. Why? Because it never really got to stay in court. Um, they all got, you know, all of those um, cases got batted down either for um, no standing or uh, it's too late. Sorry, you can't sue. Um, you've missed yeah, your deadline to sue. We're not great idea. Yeah, all of these technicalities, right? And none of them were actually batted, batted down on the merits as far as I know. And if I'm wrong, then I can, I'm happy to make a correction, but the problem is that when you demonize half of the country as these just Trump loving people and all they want to see is the Republic fall, you're missing the, you're missing the, the larger root issue. And that issue is that the flyover states as, they are, as they've been dubbed from the coastal elites feel like the system has abandoned them and has left him. I mean, honestly, it is the same the same reason that people were out there marching on the Capitol were the same reason that Black Lives Matter were marching in the summer. They feel that the system has abandoned them. And I think that if you if you were too dense to actually see that equation and how those two groups are a lot closer than they are far apart, then I'm gonna ask you like, can you get out from under your rock or tell me where you're where you're hiding your head, because maybe I should just go stick my head in there with you. <laughs> and I think that's a big thing that I've, I've pushed a lot, this idea that whether you're full on Antifa socialist or you're a libertarian, we both hate our candidates that are coming out right now on right and left. And there are plenty of conservatives that can't stand Trump, that good mm -hmm. upstanding evangelical Christian folks who are completely turned off by Trump's rhetoric and behavior. 
but they're so afraid of the other side because that's the narrative that we've been fed is that the, it could be potentially so much worse if you allow this other side to take over. And I think that's a point we make a lot as libertarians is we just need that oppressive force to have the teeth taken out of it. That the only reason that some guy in Alabama is upset about the abortion laws in California is because we have a federal government that might make his laws the same as California's laws, even mm-hmm. though no, nobody in his area believes in that. And I think that that's the, the ground we need to really come together on and, and the first common ground we can hit, uh, because obviously a socialist isn't for everybody having separate rules necessarily in different parts of the country. But the first thing we can agree on is these guys don't represent any one of us. If you're on the left, you weren't excited about voting for Biden. And I know a lot of people on the right who voted for Trump that were not excited about voting for Trump either. Right. So I you think we need to. Right. And we need to to find that middle ground and, and stop having this infighting amongst the, the civilian population where we go, ah, it's these goddamn Trumpers are ruining everything. Meanwhile, we're going to roll Biden in and we're going to start another war in the next four years, more than likely. We're going to continue to funnel money up towards big business in the form of another bailout after super COVID comes out and spreads from California. And, <laughs> but it's just this idea that we're all accepting horrific representation right now. Yep. Simply on the idea that the other guy's guy might be worse than ours. Which is a terrible place to be. I mean, if that's not a, uh, if that's not a catastrophic state of the union, then I don't know what is right. If that's not code red where we have to triage because we're about to die, then I don't know what really indicates that because I mean, it is just one of those things that when you step back and it is hard, right. And I understand that it is, we can get wrapped up in the moment and we can get sucked into the media because I mean, I was glued to my computer screen all day long. I, I definitely understand why it is easy to get wrapped up in it, but to step back just a second and understand that, yeah, Logan's right. This is the problem isn't Trump. The problem isn't Joe Biden. The problem is that we have had terrible representation for so long that both sides feel completely disenfranchised and they are terrified of the other side. So we are willing to settle for terrible candidates. Why? Because at least they're not the other person. And that to me is like, that's, that's democracy run amok. Right. The experiment has gone so far awry that, I, you know, like, where, where do you even go from there? Because and I will say, just say that for all of those people who are appalled at what happened, we could have had Joe Jorgensen. I don't love Joe Jorgensen. Um, she was a flawed candidate, but we could have the, there was a third choice. Right. For all of those people that just like, how could this happen? I just want you to know coming on 2022 and 2024, there will be other choices on the ballot. And it's probably if this is not the time to really start looking at why you support the politicians that you do, I don't know what is, right? Consistency is important. And being a Republican and being a Democrat is not a consistent political ideology because look at how they flipped, right? Conservatives used to be the, the house of small or the, the party of small government and Democrats were people that wanted to keep uh, black people in chains, right? You have your Southern Dixiecrats. And then somewhere along the line, like remember the Republicans fought to free the slaves and the Democrats were fighting to keep the slaves. And then somewhere along the line, they flip. And if your political ideology is tied to what colored Jersey you put on, then I'm sorry, but I'm going to call you part of the problem. And if you're willing to say I'm a libertarian, then you need to be able to, address and argue 
what the the dangers of a free market system are as far as the potentially a uh, uh, monopolization through the free market. Now we have arguments against that. I'm not going to go into right now, but there are a free market per- can argue against that. But if your argument is entirely my political ideology is Republican, then what happens in four years when the Republicans have completely different stances than you do? There are plenty of mm-hmm. Democrats from the 1970s who would have been 100% against gay marriage. <laughs> that now that's you know it, it's you can't just pick one of these parties because they're not an ideology. They're something they're that's going to mold. They're supposed to represent the people, but they don't. We would argue that they don't do that. That they actually represent themselves and and their corporate interest. But if you're following either one of those as your ideology, then you're you're lost to the wind. You're, you're out there with no map. You, you need something that grounds you. That is the way you want to organize society and the way you think is morally just to do so. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, and that's why, I mean, and we can even take this um, in context, right? So as libertarians, one of our big drivers, we believe in freer markets and we believe in the non-aggression principle and those two things right there. That's a, that's a solid chunk of our foundation of what we believe. And the non-aggression principle guides us, right? It tells us how we should behave and interact with our fellow man. And it is very simple. Like you do not aggress against anyone who has not initiated violence against you. Now, something that Logan and I were talking about, and I'm not here to defend this idea or die on this hill, right? But it is an interesting idea. You could make the argument that the federal government has been one of the largest aggressors against its own people, us, the American citizen, and the peoples of the world for the last hundred years, right? Um, it really it really changes with uh, the Spanish-American War when um, American foreign policy really switched from an um, isolationist policy to a more imperialistic policy. But um, I'll spare you the history lesson, but America has is arguably like the biggest aggressor in the world against us and other people too. About saying if you're talking about foreign countries, I don't even know if it's an argument. (laughs) There's nobody that has troops around the globe like America does. No, that's a good point. And um, you could make the argument that maybe, maybe it's it's not yesterday, it's been a couple of days now, maybe the actions of January 6th actually fall in line with that because you could make the argument. And like I said, I'm not here to, I'm not actually here to make this argument and to defend it, but I'm just, you know, throwing out the hypothetical argument that one could make that the government was the actual aggressor in this case. I mean, look at what they've done to us, especially over 2020, right? You, and I I hope you guys can at least see where we're going with that idea. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's one of those, we as libertarians, we see the state as a monopoly on force that everything the state forces you to do from paying income tax on is a coercion from you with the threat of violence. Mm -hmm. And that, technically speaking, would be something that um, <clears throat> violates, <clears throat> excuse me, the non-aggression principle. Um, and there, there certainly is, and we're going to get into that a little bit later, but there has to be a standard at some point when you're willing to overthrow your government. I mean, this is something that's that's within our own Declaration of Independence. Um, and I, I think it's important for us to keep that in mind. I mean, we can't, you can't, the answer can't be you can never attack the government because there has to be a, a time when <laughs> they become tyrannical and you, you do need to stand up for yourself. <clears throat> and especially something we're aware of as libertarians in that realm. I mean, it's a, a constant worry in our minds, obviously, if you haven't listened to the prior four episodes to this. <laughs> yeah, you're totally right. And I'm just reading, um, I'm just kind of like reading over the notes and 
It is, it is worth just saying, and then we can move on. Um, and this is from the Declaration of Independence, quote, but when a long train of abuses and usurpations pursuing invariably the same object invinces a design to reduce them under absolute despotism, it is their right, it is their duty to throw off such government and provide new guards for their future security. I mean, this is something that the founding fathers truly understood, right? And they risked everything, right? They put life, liberty, and property on the line to become this this nation and to to just sit there and take the stance like there is no justified reason to ever storm the capital oh, i'm going to disagree with you there's a time and a place was yeah, our, that the time our own the declaration of independence would also disagree with you mm-hmm. and and is that the time and the place i'm not sure because i'm a, i'm pretty concerned about the the short and the long-term ramifications of the events of january 6th i mean I would put money, I'm going to make a prediction, I'm going to say within the first six months of this new supermajority that the Democrats have, you're going to see a domestic terrorism bill. You are going to see an infringement of rights that we have not seen. In a, I mean, it's always been the slow creeping monster taking away our rights, but I think it's going to come out much more aggressively. Why? Because they have, they have the House, they have the Senate, and mm-hmm. they have the presidency, and you've got the tiebreaker and uh, the VP. And you also got exactly what they typically want in this playbook. You got your crisis. That's mm-hmm. usually the number one catalyst for these kind of things to happen. The, the bringing in of the largest spying apparatus on Americans in, in our history, the ability for the executive branch to throw you into terrorist prison without even setting a date for a trial and with not saying what your charges were. Uh, the wars in the Middle East, all of these things came from a crisis that we then vaulted into a reason for the government to start doing some really shady things. Mm-hmm. And that's what you're about to see. This is uh, right. 9-11. I mean, how many of us hate TSA now? We see these reports of TSA come out where they don't even catch bombs. They're they're essentially doing nothing for the most part. People they're harassing Americans about their shampoo. Right, except making your your flights terrible. Uh, and and these are the the kind of things we're going to see. We're gonna, our, our joke leading into it was the and uh, we haven't in full disclosure not recorded our satirical ad yet for the beginning of this episode, but <laughs> I believe we're doing the uh, Preservation of Democracy Act uh, and. That's the joke we've been volleying back and forth to each other, but it's going to come out with this beautiful name. It's going to be something like the preservation of democracy or the the sanctity of the voting system bill, something along those lines. It has this beautiful speech like the Patriot Act, which allows the U.S. government to kill you as a U.S. citizen. <laughs> you know, yeah. it sounds beautiful and flowery. It's always the bill to make all things wonderful and great again, but it's that fine print. In the same way we got the stimulus bill that just went out and we sent – money for gender programs to Pakistan and crazy amounts of money to Israel and, and all these things. Uh, and apparently Venezuela, Venezuela, yeah, <laughs> yeah, the $3 million for uh, democracy programs in Venezuela. Sounds like cool to me. Interesting that we, yeah, that's no joke. <laughs> I do love that. Maybe that actually makes more sense. I was about to say, it's kind of silly that we, uh, will embargo a country and also send them money. Um, Similarly, there was some money going to China in that bill in the same way where we, we borrow money from China to pass bills to send money to China at this point. <laughs> it's pretty wild. Yeah, and it's but, just one of those things. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. Sorry. Go for it. Um, I think that uh, this other prediction, and I hope I'm wrong, right? I really hope, I truly hope that I'm wrong on this one. And you guys in the future can point back to me and say, Matt, you're an idiot. Why did you ever think that that would ever happen? I pray, I pray that that is the case, but I'm afraid that we are going to have to sit back and prepare to watch and disgust as the Amer- as the majority of the population beg for their rights to be violated, to make sure that something like this never happens again. 
they're going to roll this bill out and every and it's it's one of those if you guys have ever seen uh the the star wars i know that there's a lot of debate and i'm not trying to hop into that but i believe it's episode two or three um which would be the second trilogy not the original not five six and seven or four five six but um where the where senator palpatine takes over and you know she goes this is how democracy dies in applause and I think that that's what we're going to see, unfortunately. You're going to see this rollout of this violation of our rights, and we are going to be so terrified that of what happened that we're going to just applaud it, right? I mean, think of how many people are pumped that Donald Trump's Twitter and Facebook got suspended. I mean, that is the death of free speech right they, in front uh, of you. We have pretty much universally realized now. I mean, we saw Donald Trump subvent the Republican Party on the message of George Bush lied you into wars. But when we went to those wars, just after 9-11, 2001, I didn't know a soul that was against those wars. Everybody right. was on board with it. And I found out years later, as I study more about libertarianism, that the, the good libertarians like Ron Paul were the ones that were against that war, uh, <laughs> which is part of the reason we've ended up in these circles now. But it's it, the, the momentum behind it is what they're looking for. That's It's difficult for them to take your rights away in front of your eyes. So they need this shell game, this mm-hmm. terrible threat that's going to, going to push this about. And I, unfortunately I I'm right there with you, man. I think those are, we're going to see that coming. There's going to be some sort of grotesque bill that really infringes on your rights and maybe not the majority, but a good 50 something percent of Americans you know, right at that not line. Yeah. That's about to say, as I said <laughs> that, I realized <laughs> I described a majority, uh, right. You know, the, the, about the exact same amount that uh, voted for uh, Joe Biden in the popular vote is going to be about the number of people that are completely for their rights getting taken away. Yeah, absolutely. So um, moving moving on from that, uh, we, we touched on consistency, and I think it's important, right? Um, because if you, like we were talking about earlier, if you don't actually have a grounded political philosophy that you can run everything through – then you end up just being blown in the wind and you're, you're subject to the, to the, the turmoils and the, the turnings of the rabble and the mob, which is why we stand for something. You'll fall for anything. No, absolutely. And I think that I just wanted to touch on this, um, how the narrative switched, right? Because I think that if you still, if you still get your news from one of the major TV website or sources, I'm going to say like, please turn that off. There are alternative sites because if you get it from CNN, MSNBC, Fox News, ABC, NBC, uh, Vox, who are the other, right? Like if you're getting your news from those, those are carefully constructed narratives that you see. And the hypocrisy, at least for me, was on full blast on the events of January 6th. I, I mean, I, I have this list, right? Um, Chris Cuomo, he said, who said protests are supposed to be peaceful over the summer, right? Like, and then we even had AOC say like protests are supposed to be, they're supposed to make you uncomfortable. That's the point, right? I mean, there was the, there was the article in defense of looting. Um, I have two box articles pulled up side by side. One of them is from September 16th, 2020. And the title is this, riots are destructive, dangerous, and scary but they can lead to serious social reform. The Vox article from January 7th, 2021, every person who forced their way into the Capitol should be arrested, right? And we've seen the the media just flipped on its head where they had no problem with BLM and Antifa destroying 
towns and private property aggressing against people that had literally nothing to do with any of this, right? Like every single person that had their business uh, raided and looted, guess what? They They didn't participate in the killing of any single black person that you guys were upset about. And believe me, I'm upset about that stuff too, right? I don't think the cops should just be extrajudicially executing anybody. Um, there should, you know, the, that's not what this country is about. And so I can meet you there, but to sit there and be in full support of what happened over the summer and then turn around and say, this is terrible. How could this ever happen in America? Shame on these people. I mean, it, for me, it's just like, I didn't respect these people to begin with, but now it's like the hypocrisy is just so out there in the open. If you can't see it once again, can you please come out from under your rock and join us in the real world? Right. I mean, these are these are things that, at least from our perspective, these are pretty much state co-opted institutions at this point that they're pumping out the propaganda for the, the deep state. Um, and that's why you're seeing this messaging. And that's also why you're seeing the focus of this media is a lot on the, the racial aspect. Um, and there mm-hmm. there's certainly something to be said of that. And I'm, I haven't made Absolutely. made uh, heads and tails out of it just yet. But um, and I want to look at the numbers. I haven't had. Uh, the ability to find all the numbers just yet on how many cops killed protesters during Black Lives Matter marches versus how many were killed during the Trump riot. Um, but I, I think that's, again, kind of missing the narrative that that this, the focus on this story doesn't need to be why didn't more white guys get killed that were at the Capitol or why aren't there enough of them getting arrested? And believe me, there can be plenty of them get arrested. It's coming down. It's coming. <laughs> if, if that's your best concern from this, don't worry. They're, those dudes are going to go get locked away and the key's going to get swallowed. Um, but they're ignoring the messaging again of why do people, why are people one feel so underrepresented that they're willing to do this? And two, that we're also desperate enough, which is another important catalyst into a riot situation. You, you need to feel not represented by your government, but you, also can't be comfortable when people are sitting at home watching LeBron play at night. They're not thinking about a riot, even if they think their government's terrible. But when you're in a position where you're hungry, you're looking at December 30th was your day to get evicted from your house because you weren't you're working out of work the last six months. I mean, how many Your of those people have been ravaged by COVID mm-hmm. restrictions, right? It is right. all this desperation. And I do want to no, I, I like where you're going and I want to go there. I just have to say that if we are sticking to the narrative of how the summer went, well, January 6th was actually a mostly peaceful protest. You know, (laughs) we only had four people die, maybe five, six now from their injuries. I mean, out of all of the people in there, that's actually a pretty good percentage. Right. And because I heard that argument, right. It's like out of all of the, of all the protests that happened this summer, like 94% were mostly peaceful. And it's like, okay, but what about the 6%? Because a lot of damage comes from the 6%. And to sit there and say that, well, this is just a mostly peaceful protest over the summer and to not apply. I loved Michael Malice when I was watching this, uh, when they were like actually forcing their way into the Capitol building, like through the doors, Michael Malice tweeted. He's like, don't worry, guys, it's still mostly peaceful. Um, and and I love him because he's it's so on the nose. Right. And if you can't see that hypocrisy, right, like that is why we are talking about consistency. It is important. I was not down with what happened over the summer and my gut tells me I'm not down with what happened on the sixth, not because of a more so from a practical standpoint of what the, the, what is going to happen because of this right there. Never waste a good crisis. That's a great government mantra. 
I am more opposed to what happened on the six because of what I'm afraid is going to happen to all of us because of it more so than I am philosophically opposed like I was against the the riots, right? And let's, I'm going to just slow down and make a very clear distinction, right? Because a lot of the people out there who were marching in the streets over the summer have very legitimate cause to be out there, right? Like if you can't get out on the streets and say that the cops shouldn't be able to do this, that is absolute bullshit, that the cops just leaned on that man's neck, whether or not that that is a legal policy instituted by the uh, Minneapolis Police Department or whatever city it happened in, because I can't even keep them straight at this point, whether or not, like, I, I, I hear you, I hear you, and I, and I agree. But when, when it escalates to violence, especially violence against a non-acting party, to an innocent third party, I disagree with that. And so I've kind of come around in this and just in that rant where I kind of disagree with what happened on the 6th because there's going to be violence enacted on innocent third party members. You and I, most of America, guess, guess, guess what? How many people were there? A couple thousand, 20,000, 100,000, 200,000. Guess what? That is not 330 million people. Very much smaller percentage that actually stormed that Capitol building, too. And that mm-hmm. kind of goes back to the idea of mostly peaceful protest. If you counted the heads at that protest and counted the heads that went into the building and especially counted the heads that vandalized, stole, broke anything in that building, the numbers get smaller and smaller. It's, it's even of that protest. It was a very small percentage of people that got violent. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you're talking semantics, you can say mostly peaceful. But I do think that both of these protests had a, a similar true line in as well and that the parts of them that got violent absolutely destroyed any momentum either one of these movements had. Yep, absolutely. I mean, you you destroy your legitimacy when you do those type of actions. And something that I really, that I was thinking about as, as I watched this unfold in the days after, and my, my Twitter and my Facebook and my Instagram is just inundated about white privilege. Like that was trending on Twitter, right? And I'm not going to say that there's, there's some questions I, I have too, right? Like, why did the cops just open up some barricades and let these people, right? Like, I'm on, like, let, let me be clear, Logan and I are equal opportunity haters. And we will call out criticism, we will critique anyone who deserves to be critiqued. And so we have those questions too. But when you sit there and turn this into a, an issue of race instead of class, which I think that it is, right? Because Marx was, I don't think that he was right on a lot of things, but I will say, I will give him credit on um, his idea that most of history is about class warfare and it is the have-nots fighting against the haves. And I do agree with that because whether or not on January 6th or over the summer, you agreed with it, you you disagreed with it. Let's take a step back and look at this from the 10,000 foot level. All of these people feel disenfranchised by the system. I would bet, right? I would I would put down a considerable sum of money that if we had to draw out a profile of who the people out on the streets over the summer were and who the people on the streets on the 6th were, you're going to actually get a very similar archetype of person. You're going to have someone who most likely has had their economic livelihood threatened. They feel like they have been disenfranchised by the system. They feel like it is them versus the institution they probably made less than $50,000 last year because people who are comfortable, people who the system worked for, they don't get out and riot. Where was Barack Obama? Barack Obama wasn't out there leading the charge. He was lecturing us from Martha Vineyard. Why? Because Barack Obama's comfortable. He's going he's gonna to push us from behind and say, yeah, yeah, you guys go. I mean, how many black millionaires from the Chicago, you know, it's like that, that, that group of 
extremely wealthy black millionaires in Chicago. How many of them were out there? And they're not out there in the streets. And there are exceptions to the rule, for sure. There were plenty of YouTube influencing right-wing guys who make some pretty good money online who are are well-to-do and well-off who were right in the middle of the Capitol building and are probably going to be labeled terrorists and thrown into Gitmo for the rest of their life for for being dumb enough to post that stuff online. (laughs) Just a soft 10-year sentence. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, it's... it's, uh, it's short-sighted to to look at this and and think that it's just black and white. That look at this racism. Um, I think another interesting point that what I've noticed is is I, the, one of the first questions I had was how did they storm the building? How was that allowed to happen? This is something we've been hearing about for months leading up to this. We knew it was coming. We knew there was going to be tons of people. Ten million people to show. Yeah, none up. of us. We were joking about it the morning of. What kind of violence are you going to see today? It happened a little earlier. I thought it was going to happen after the Electoral College got counted and they announced Biden. That's kind of when I expected the violence to happen. But, right. you know, we got excited and, and uh, blew the load a little bit early. Um, but like you said, it's this is people don't go riot just because they hate a political candidate. There's a missing part of that equation. Right. Being one, the disenfranchisement, but two, that desperate aspect. And, and these are a uh, a group of people that on the most part are probably lower income people. They're not people who've made a, a ton of money. They're not people who are comfortable. Otherwise they would also be in their vineyard estates uh, somewhere in Georgia or, or where. Yeah. Or go. just hanging out at their home, right? Like let's be real about who actually gets out there. And I'm not talking, and this is, this is focused in the, the, the frame of 2020 and 2021, right? I'm not talking about um, historical riots and, um, and, and marches and, and fight for equality, right? That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about, this summer into this winter, who are the people like the system? If it's working for you, you're not that angry. I mean, you might, you might harumph at dinner and you might have like a little tizzy with your friend or your spouse as you're having a, your, your, you know, your dinner party. And you might disagree on politics and stuff like that, because guess what? I have those disagreements too, but the system is stacked against me and you and all of us, unless you are a true insider, but at the same time, and I think that's a great point to make too. I, I often say that when you hear like, we got to get rid of white privilege. Sometimes my knee-jerk reaction is, well, shouldn't we not want to get rid of white privilege, but rather apply those privileges to every race within this country? And I think that's yeah, something um, we lose focus okay. of a lot of times is let's, let's not tear each other down over these things. Let's, if you're going to reach equality, you don't want to reach equality at zero. Exactly. You try to reach equality at the highest level possible. Yeah, absolutely. And that's one of those things that that Matt was talking with us about. And I've really been exploring over the last week myself is like, you know, we we as libertarians and we as a society should strive for equality in the eyes of the law. And that would be getting rid of all sort of discriminatory laws. Right. I mean, whether they are pro-black, anti-black, does not matter. Right. Affirmative action. Like We should strive for equality in the eyes of the law where we are all equal. Yeah. And hey, and part, that of that, uh, part of that argument should probably also be equal as far as you versus the corporation that you're trying to sue when they fuck you over. <laughs> yes. Which I mean, that's, I that's the biggest disparity. We can talk about white privilege all we want, but the real privilege in this country comes from being in the pocket of the government, as yeah. it does in every country. 
Yeah, it's the it's the pathology of favoritism. Great essay, by the way. You should go read it. I will link it in the uh, the episode description. But yeah, it is one of those things, and this might be a little tongue on you know a little tongue in cheek. And if it goes too far, I do apologize. But for all those people that are saying it's like, well, that wouldn't happen if they were white. It's like I didn't see that woman's white privilege protect her from t- catching a bullet in the neck. Right. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't see that. Right. And I saw probably seven or eight different camera angles and it was hard to watch Um, where it's like at a certain point, it's not about race. And I understand that there are racial aspects to this. And I'm like, believe me, right. I am not blind and ignorant to this. Um, I did not grow up as a, you know, as I would say, as like a half person of color. Um, I did not grow up in the hood. I don't know what it's like to grow up in a large urban center, but I also do know what it's like to have my cop neighbor lecture me on what I have to do in a traffic stop to defuse the situation and put the cop at ease that my white friends didn't get. They didn't have to have that lecture, right? That's my fair. I'm, uh, yeah. I'm far enough down the Caucasian scale that cops actually apologize to me when they pull me over. So that's kind of nice. <laughs> I do I do like that particular privilege? <laughs> yeah, and and so it's one of those things. Like it, I, I'm not coming from a place of, you know, like I can understand now. It you no two experiences are the same, so I can't say that I know what it's like in a lot of these extreme circumstances because none of us do unless we've actually been in them, which is a very very small percentage. And I would argue that probably none of our listeners have ever been in those type of situations where you have fe- feared for your life because of your skin color i'm just going to take a guess from the you know 150 people that have listened so far Um, i hate to break it to you but one of us does have black friends uh, yeah (laughs) (laughs) you you can't fault me for that i'm a product of my environment Um, (laughs) out you in your ski resort in new mexico over there as black man but but it is it is just one of those things that there is that racial aspect, you know, like all joking aside that I understand that we can't ignore, but at the same time to just instantly classify this as white privilege and white supremacy is to miss the entire reason why those people were out on the streets. And if we took the time to understand our neighbors' complaints and concerns, I mean, I'm not even saying like we have to spend hours on this. If you took 15 minutes to actually listen to what the other side is complaining on, whichever aisle of the, you know, whichever side of the aisle you fall on, you would see that there's a lot of similarities between your arguments that, that vastly outweigh the differences. And just imagine what we could get done if we focused on that, because there are tons of areas where you could find the most right-leaning person and the most left-leaning person. Like, hey, how do you like the lobbyists in our government that are screwing you over for big corporations? I don't know anybody in the the right or the left who isn't in government taking those paychecks who's for that. It would mm-hmm. be or getting paycheck to come together and go. Oh, ninety nine percent of Americans think this is ridiculous. <laughs> oh, seventy five percent of Americans are for legalization of marijuana. Even the right wingers, you can come together on these things and and make immeasurable change by pressuring our government to do so. But we've all fallen for the shell game, and we're all worried about you know the people in Alabama are scared to death that they're going to start making their kids transition into the opposite sex and. The people in California are terrified that those people in Alabama are going to come in there and force them to have every rape baby that they get. And the truth of it is, those things are typically not things they really want to enforce on you all that much anyway. There's a couple overlapping things that are, are going to be disagreements between us, but there's so much that we could accomplish in the meantime and put that on the back burner 
but we've got it backwards. We've got all the things we could accomplish sitting in, in stasis right now. And we're just complaining and bitching about all these, these 10% of things that are different about us. Right. They use, they use ideas like race to try to divide us instead of actually bringing us together. Because at the end of the day, like you are far closer to your neighbor who you disagree with because of who they voted for, than you are for the big lobbyist that's taking these congressmen and senators out for dinner or the senators and the congressmen, they're getting taken out to right? There's a, there's a, you are way closer to the person that you disagree with in the ballot box than you are that these people that you are trying to support and prop up and put on this pedestal just because they represent your side. And it, it is just, I mean, we have to acknowledge that this did not happen in a vacuum. Right. We've see, we've now seen revolts or revolutions or riots or whatever you want to call it from both the populist left and the populist right, because these people that were out there on um, on the sixth, they are not your mainstream Republicans. Right. They are like you're talking about a a branch of the Republican Party that realizes that maybe the Republican Party doesn't represent me either. And to just. To just throw the stone without actually looking in the mirror, I think it's I think it's going to be catastrophic, because I see an opportunity right now for Americans to step back. All right, Joe Biden's going to be the president. He's getting sworn in in how many days? 12, 12 days. Cool. All right, it's coming. Right, it's it's here. It's coming. There's nothing that you can do about it short of a coup d'état. And good luck with that one because we all saw how that one kind of played out. <laughs> um, this is the time that we have to step back and actually learn from this episode and take the time to understand the hypocrisy on both sides of the aisle. We have to learn to listen to our neighbor, regardless of their political affiliation. Because let's put this in perspective, right? Half the country feels that this election is stolen. Now, whether it was or not, I don't know, because I'm not privy to that knowledge. And here's a little, uh, little add to that. Um, four years ago, half the country thought this election was stolen. Yeah. And so when you get into this, this swinging where half the country thinks that the election is illegitimate because I, I suffered through three and a half years of Russiagate, um, we can't. Uh, and you so let me just roll back a little bit. So when you have half the population that thinks this country or the election is stolen, and the other half does nothing but mock, disenfranchise, and dismiss those concerns, then we have failed to learn the lessons that history has taught us in blood, right? Because people have fought and died for representation. And you are, you are ignoring the blood that has soaked into this earth for people that have truly died to give us this idea of representation. And I understand that the American political system is like, we're not maybe set up to do these wide overhauls of an election audit, right? And that's, that's, a, that's a problem of the system that has to be addressed in the system, right? But to have all of these complaints just dismissed and said, go home, you lost. How many, how many less people do you think are, you, you probably get a similar number that stormed the building because they're, those are the ones who are pretty radical anyway. But of the people that showed up to protest for this, how many of them decide to stay at home that day if the answer to all of this question of election fraud is not, there's no merit, there's no reason for us to look into this, we're throwing it out, but rather, you're right, this is something that there, there have been some improprieties in this, and we want to check it out, 
we unfortunately do not have time. We need to move forward with the, the exchange of power, but we will implement immediately a, a reform to this system so that we know for a fact that our next election will be legitimate. And we will investigate this election while Biden's in there to, to make sure that this was a legitimate thing. How many people go, oh, that's great. Yeah, that's exactly what I want. That's precisely what I was looking for. And there were, of course, we saw footage of the people who ran in there. There was the woman who uh, claimed to be pepper sprayed, which I, I think I've re-seen the footage where she was actually holding an onion and <laughs> making herself cry for effect. But she was uh, saying that we were, you know, we were rushing the Capitol building and they just pepper sprayed us. These cops are just willing to do this with, to civilians, which, first of all, I thought was hilarious. All the videos of the people who were like, I can't believe they shot somebody when we kicked in the door and screamed at that we were going to murder the politicians. Like, whether you're for the rights or not, you got to expect the bullets to come back at you when you break into the Congre congressional building. <laughs> it's going to happen. Yeah. It's a little short side not to think that. But it is, it is the point of the Secret Service, right? That is their job to right. protect literally their job, literally the job. people that they're assigned to. And, you know, that's something I want to bring up, too, is uh, the, the more I've tried to kind of tackle the question of why were they able to breach this building when Black Lives Matter couldn't? Is it a, a racial aspect? I I think, again, I don't know that it came down to race. I think it came down to how many videos I saw of cops who opened gates for people and ushered them into the building. <laughs> I think it came down to Trump supporters. I think we had cops who were s s there to protect that building who felt also disenfranchised and desperate because of the actions of their government and the lack of representation. And so their reaction to that when rubber hit the road was they not only stood aside, but I, I mean, I saw videos of cops literally waving people to go into the building. Yeah, I did too. And it does make you wonder. Now, I will say, though, that um, what was it, the anti-Kavanaugh marches? I mean, how many people occupied the atrium of the Senate, right? Like, this is not unprecedented. Now, it wasn't with the same force and violence in which, you know, um, but I think there's also something to be said about um, numbers, right? And whether or not you're, you're a cop and you're there to protect, it's like, well, there's an awful lot of people on the other side of this barricade. Probably best, you know, there, there is something to be said about preservation, right? And I've never been in the, I've never been in the situation where there are thousands of angry people on the other side of a barricade, you know, and I'm just going to be honest. I don't know how hard I would fight to keep them out. You, I'm, I'm just and there's a honest. reason, uh, there's I'm a reason you don't just get a paycheck when you're a cop, you get a paycheck, but you also get to swear an oath on the Bible in front of Jesus and God to, to tell them how hard you're going to fight for them and give your life up if need be, <laughs> because they need something larger than monetary gain for you to lay your life on the line. No, that, that, and that's that's a very fair critique of it. And I don't know. I don't know why. I'm, I'm going to be very curious. I'm very curious to see how this plays out. And as we get more information and more video and maybe we can start to try to piece together a narrative, we'll revisit it. But I guess like the a couple of observations that I've had, like, you know, it's because the people I listen to have been talking about the decoupling of America for months, years. And it's hard not to really think that it's here. Um, now, I don't think that it's all doom and gloom, right? Because, um, you know, maybe it is too late and maybe we are past the brink and there's nowhere else to go except down and this inevitable, inevitable road to civil war. But I'm not convinced though I'm not convinced that and we're I, we, we've I meant gone to bring this up far. earlier, but I want to give you a little silver lining here that there's a, a huge opportunity in front of us. Mm -hmm. So we saw something pretty incredible, like him or hate him. Trump won an election. And the main thing he did was he went to West Virginia and he told them that George Bush killed their sons in the Middle East on fake wars that he should have never got him in on. And for the first time in my lifetime, we saw the right wing of this country become anti-war. 
or at least not actively pro war. Mm-hmm. And that was pretty amazing thing. That's Huge. never been the case. We've always had a right wing in this country that was happy to beat the war drum and, and go show whatever country America's dick. And we finally had this, this thing. And now the grotesque side of that is that we, we have had the left kind of take up the, the arms for the state and say, well, there, there are some reasons that our, <laughs> our country need to keep military in all these other places. And, and that, that's a little gross, but we do have an opportunity here where we have now Joe Biden with a democratic house and Senate and all those people that think, thank goodness, Trump's gone. The problem's over. Now they're going to watch Joe Biden during this pandemic. How are we going to handle it? What kind of money are we going to dole out? What kind of acts of protection are going to come out? And there's not going to be Republicans to turn around and point the finger at because they have all the power. So right. the opportunity that I'm seeing here is if we can stay on the messaging and spread the message enough that to, to show lefties that, hey, in the same way that there are people walking away from the Republican Party right now uh, to be Trump supporters or walking away to become libertarians, if we can get that to also happen from the left, maybe that's our avenue to getting out of this duopoly system where the deep state's able to fool us into thinking we're electing a new president every four years. Right. And whether or not the Libertarian Party is a viable third-party candidate, uh, you know, platform, I'm I'm skeptical, but that's a different topic for a different day. But I would start... I mean, yes, in a perfect world, you would start to see third-party candidates to break this up, but I would not even mind electing Democrats or Republicans, right? Because I've voted on both sides of the aisle. I switched my registration to vote for Tulsi Gabbard in the uh, primary because I really wanted to see her run for president because I can get behind her platform in a lot of ways. And then I said, you know, and then I switched it back to Libertarian for the, you know, but so it's like, I'm not opposed to voting for people of, of any party, right? Like if you are a Republican and you're coming with good principled ideas, then cool, have a vote. If you are a Democrat coming with good principled ideas, then cool, have a vote. And the opportunity that I see is that there is still time for us to pull a, you know, pull away from the precipice, right? Like maybe we, maybe, maybe I'm naive and the, the, the ships are gone over the edge, like in Pirates of the Caribbean three. And now we're plummeting to Davy Jones locker. Maybe that's true. And I'm just haven't realized that we're falling, but I, I feel in my gut though, that there's still enough genuine um, kindness in people that we actually don't hate our neighbor as much as we would like to pontificate that we do, right? You don't really hate a Trump supporter or you don't hate someone that voted for Joe Biden as much as maybe we outward, outwardly display. But what comes to my mind is this really interesting um, exchange. And I can't remember if it was, um, it's between Khrushchev and Kennedy, right? So you're talking about the premier of the Soviet Union um, and the president of the United States during the Cuban Missile Crisis, right? And I don't know if they exchanged this via a letter or a telephone call, I can't remember the medium. But essentially, Mr. Khrushchev says, like, Mr. President, if we keep pulling on this knot, and I'm paraphrasing, um, if we keep pulling on this knot, I'm afraid that it will get so tight that neither you and I nor I, or anyone else who wills it, will be able to untie it. And at that point, the knot must be cut. I see us right now pulling on the knot. I don't think that the knot is so tight that it has to be cut because to put that in perspective, when Khrushchev is talking about, he's talking about open nuclear war. That is what he means with the knot is going to be cut. In this this particular perspective and framing, 
if we keep pulling on the knot from both sides of the aisle, when the knot has to be cut, that is civil war. And I don't say that lightly because I want nothing to do with it, right? That's why I live in the middle of nowhere in New Mexico because it's very, it's very quiet and I like it. And I, I watch Twitter and it looks so chaotic in these the cities over the summer. And it's like, I look out my, my door and it's peaceful. Oh, look, there's some deer walking through my yard. Oh, is that an elk? You know, it's like, oh, this is, this is nice. There's no one around. Like I have no neighbors. It's great. And that's why I live here. But I'm, I am optimistic, right? Because I don't want us to be this message of doom and gloom, right? I don't want Logan and I to be prophets of doom. I want us to be voices of hope and reason for freedom, because that is how we're going to restore this system it is going to be principled application of individual rights and freer markets. They're going to make more prosperity for all of us. And then when there's, when there's more pie, guess what? You're less likely to fight over the slice that you get. I think it's a pretty good metaphor for it, and and I want to take this moment to beat my favorite dead horse in that, like you said, it's not that you hate your neighbor. It's not that you think that that person on the opposite side of the, the country from you has these different political views as somebody you want to demonize and, and hate. The issue is that we have a federal government that is so overbearing in its oppressive state that it could potentially, if there's enough people who have that view that this person you disagree with have, they can force you now to have that view or at least to act in a way that you do. And that's the root of this problem. It's not that anybody in Alabama gives a shit about what's going on in New York City. It's that the people in New York City can compile enough votes to enact government force onto you to make you act the way they do in the way live a life that they see fit rather than yourself. And that's a problem. And that that is the problem. And when when anybody, whichever side of the aisle you fall on, or if you fall in no aisle like we do, then that's fine. But if you put this much stock into the presidential election, and we even talked about this last episode, right? If, if every 4th November can ruin your life, the problem is that we have given this system way too much power. That, you know, like, pres- I, I see the, it should be that the president comes and goes. And sure, I might disagree with the policies and, you know, and Congress comes and goes and I might not like it. But at the end of the day, that entity should not have enough momentum to reach into your life to disrupt it in any sort of way, right? That is that is the clear telltale sign that this government has run amok and it is overgrown. And it has it is the slow moving blob and it is it is encompassing things that it was never supposed to touch. And just listen to the rhetoric around voting. You have to go vote. It's really important. Why is it so important for you to go vote? Because if the other side wins, you're going to be oppressed. But the thing that nobody can seem to take the step back and say is, why are we fighting over who gets to be the oppressive force every four years? Why don't Mm -hmm. we eliminate the oppressive force? Right. And that's, I don't yeah, vote, but, you know, and it's like, it would be really cool if there was a third party that uh, actually believed in that, you know, um, I will say though, I would really like Dave Smith to take over the libertarian party because the, the LP blues, and I will say this, like as, as a self-proclaimed libertarian freedom loving person, I am a huge critic of the libertarian party. They blew it. 2020 was the perfect platform. For them, it's like, oh, you don't like lockdowns? We don't either. Oh, you don't like cops murdering people in the streets? We don't either. You don't like no-knock raids? Guess what? We don't either. Oh, you don't like big government bailouts? We don't either, right? Hey, good news is we're going to have a perfect opportunity for good messaging again. 
Yeah. And <laughs> and here it is. And here it is. And um, I don't know the we'll I'll we'll rant about the Libertarian Party like for a full <laughs> episode because I have my critiques. I really do mm-hmm. because it's not and and that's the problem though, right? Because that's the Libertarian Party. It's the Republican Party. It's the Democratic Party, right? The purpose of those parties is to win elections. Mm-hmm. That is the purpose of that entity, that organization. It is our duty as the people participating in a in a uh, in a republic because that's what we are. Like we have to remember that democracy is what the Greeks thought when public rule went awry. That is the story of democracy is when Athens is winning a war against Sparta and they let everyone who can, you know, have a say come in and Sparta suing for peace. And they say, nope, we're going to continue the war. And then the tides turn and Athens gets surrounded and they're subject against Sparta, right? That is what the Greeks feared democracy because the mob sometimes can't be trusted, but it is our duty as citizens as a, in a republic to be educated, to actually understand who we vote for and why we vote for them, and then hold those people accountable for the actions that they take and the campaign promises they make. And um, you're going right there. If you're a progressive and you voted for Biden because Bernie told you to, you cannot close your eyes now and say, thank God Trump's out there. Because there's going to be so many things that happen now over the next four years that you as a progressive are about to get absolutely royally fucked. They have no they, – they have blocked every progressive person. AOC even went out of her way to defend Nancy Pelosi when she should have been doing what Jimmy Dore was telling her to do and yep. fight for the thing that got her elected in the first place. And even just the fact that she caught so much social media heat online, even though she towed the party line, that was too close to your progressive ideas for her to get in. And that's kind of what we're talking about here, that both these parties are for the deep state. Both of these parties are intertwined with the big corporation and the military industrial complex, and they're not here for you. They're here for that. And when you're going to fool yourself into thinking they're here for you, then you're just giving them a free pass to continue to infringe upon your rights. Yep. Amen. Couldn't have said it better. I mean, a woman. Amen and a woman. (laughs) well right on guys thank you guys uh so much for joining us this is against the mob podcast matt billingsley logan carpenter you can catch us here every tuesday um we will be uh trying to be more consistent i am going on a little ski trip um up north uh gonna try my hardest i am taking my microphones and my um my computers with me we're gonna try to work on an episode for next week but if for some reason it is a little late it is because i'm having way too much fun on my ski trip and uh i couldn't uh couldn't uh bring myself to record an episode could or perhaps you get to listen to a solo pod with logan carpenter in my sweet sultry voice for an hour that is true. He is a way better talker than I am. Um, okay, cool. Um, find us on Twitter at Against Mob. That's on Twitter at Against Mob. Find us on Instagram and Facebook at Against the Mob Podcast. And uh, we will see you next time. Thanks, guys. Like and subscribe. We'll see you in a week.